You open your eyes and see a light once hidden behind darkness and shadows. You see a peace in the serenity, in the calm. I see a training for the trial, the enabling of God. You see a storm, waves of suffocating sorrow which threaten to smother you. I see an anchor, a hope. You see mistakes and failures, baggage and pain. I see influence, a microphone. One day you'll open your eyes and you see potentials expired. The time is up, but I see the echoes in eternity, a work finally finished. Listen, focus. A light lies hidden beneath the darkness of shadows. See the things unseen. Eternity now, through the eyes of a lion. Welcome to the final message, part four of Through the Eyes of a Lion. Can we give a warm welcome to all of our brothers and sisters listening online this morning? Uh, Jeannie just got a hold of me this morning and she said, Nick, you, you, we're not going to be able to make it. Keep, keep Steve in, in your prayers. But I just had another person get a hold of me and, and they're listening online and, and they're contributing fr from their homes online, contributing. And they're probably not going to be there today, but they're coming next week. It, it keeps growing and growing and growing. The Lord just keeps moving and moving. We're, we're the Lord is moving outside of Antrim, outside of New Hampshire, outside of the United States. It's going. Wherever you are, however you're hearing this, good morning then. Good morning to everyone here today. We're so happy you could join us. Uh, my son, he, he's uh, incredibly uh, ill. He, he got home last night almost midnight from his football game. And uh, he's been running down. But when he was two years old, there was a, a day when we were sitting down and we were, we were eating lunch together. And he had one of those, you know, booster seats pulled up to our table. He was two years old, little guy, father and son eating lunch together. And I remember us sitting there and for some reason I, I was drinking a Coke, which I never really drink Coke. But I remember specifically I was drinking a can of Coke that day. And I remember I had to go get something from the, the fridge, I think it was. might have been the cupboard, but I think it was the fridge. And just as I did, I sat down, er, er, my Coke, and, and I saw him. His eyes were just staring at the red can, big red can of Coke. His sippy cup of, of apple juice might have been a cup full of poison for all he was concerned. He just wanted nothing to do with that. And just before I turned away, I said, Austin... Don't touch daddy's soda. He goes, okay. And as I'm bent over in the fridge, I hear this distinct, <laughs> unmistakable sound of a Coke can sliding across the table. And then the not-so-distinct sound of two-year-old little Austin sucking down a bunch of gulps of Coca-Cola. At which point, without turning around, I said, Austin... You're not drinking daddy's soda, are you? I heard the Coke can being set down, put back across the table, and I heard him sweetly say, no. 
I'm like, darn, he's lying to me. I said, Austin, are you lying to daddy? No. I said, Austin, you're lying. He goes, no. I said, honey, I'm fearing I'm raising a sociopath now. I said, honey, do you you know what lying means? He said, yes. Lying means roar. I was laughing so hard, I I clearly couldn't discipline him at, at that point. He thought I was saying, do you know what a lion means? He was probably just confused why his dad thought he was a lion. I'm laughing so hard, tears are, are pouring out of my eyes. I'll never forget. To this day, I'm not sure what confused him more, me accusing him of being a lion or for drinking a, a soda or the fact that he didn't get any discipline for doing something that was clearly a violation. But lion does mean roar. There are very few things we associate with a lion, perhaps more than the distinct mane, but really that telltale terrifying, unmistakable, spine-tingling roar that can be heard up to five miles away. That's lion. Lion means roar. And that's what we're going to talk about this weekend. In our first installment, we talked about things hidden in plain sight. We learned to, to see the invincible. In our second message, we talked about standing on on the tiptoes, the tiptoes of the edge of eternity, and we learned how the power that comes from leaning into the groan. In our third message last week, we talked about how hope has a rope and the power that comes from keeping your your anchor on on a short leash, not letting too much slack get into our Holy Spirit's line, our connection to the Father. This is our fourth and final installment of Through the Eyes of a Lion series. We're going to talk about how to run towards the roar. And that's the title of our message this week. We're going to learn how to run towards the roar. If you have a Bible, like I said earlier, you can, you can pull it out. Go to Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be. Like I said, there's going to be a few sections, ends of verses that we're going to be jumping around. But you can turn, turn, turn there, Luke chapter 24, starting out at verse 13, as we talk about how to face our fears, how to fulfill our calling, and to not see any of our potential that's unused on this earth. I'm excited to preach this, this final message. We couldn't go every, through everything that's in the book, uh, in, in these four themes. Um, and I apologize that some of these have been lengthy. Um, but I picked out these four themes, and I pray that um, they've spoken to you in, in some way. And I've heard from many of you, and, and so uh, it's pleasing to the Lord that we're learning from if this. If uh, anyone also would like to borrow the book, I, I have it actually on Kindle, so... Um, I'm done reading it. Um, please see me after services. Um, you can borrow it. It's been really inspiring. So let's begin in, in verse 13, Luke 24, 13. If you don't have a Bible, the, the scriptures are up on the screen. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day, 
to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles. That's important. Remember that. How, how far away is the village? That's, that's, that's a good distance, right? Seven miles. When you, re- when you read the Bible, you really got to try to make sure that you can smell it. You know what I'm saying? We read Jesus went to Galilee. We read Jesus went to Capernaum. You know, this is considerable distance on, on foot. They're not hopping in a car. They're not, they're not hitchhiking. This is literally just walking one foot in the other, seven miles. To a village called Emmaus, which was outside of Jerusalem. Verse 14. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Verse 15. If you notice, we're, we're in Luke 24, which is after Jesus died on the cross. So what things are they talking about? That. That. So it was... While they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Awesome. Jesus showed up. That dude had just died. He's been buried. What's he doing here walking around? He drew near and he went with them. Did they know it? No. Because verse 16 says, But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Superpowers, right? Whatever Jesus did, it's like this, you know, X-Men trick or whatever. Jesus is very, very powerful. He's inside the mind, so what they saw was not what was there. Amazing powers, right? So they're walking with Jesus, but they don't know it. This is hilarious. Verse 17. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Translation NNT, New Nick translation. Jesus is like, What's the matter with you guys? Did someone just kill your puppy? That's basically what he said in the original Greek. Why are you so bummed out? Okay. Jesus says this to them as, as they're talking about Jesus. Verse 18. That's my head exploding if you're listening to me preach. He's talking to Jesus about Jesus. Verse 18. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known in these days of what has happened in these days? This guy's high strung. Can you you tell? Verse 19, and and Jesus said to them, What things? What things? Like totally. What things? Jesus, he's listening to the man talking about how he died. He's bummed out. He tries to get him to tell him because the guy can't even believe he doesn't know. Jesus is like, Know what? I don't know anything. I wouldn't know anything about me dying on the cross. I wouldn't know anything about me buried with 75 pounds of spices. Please don't ever tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor, right? I mean, you guys following the story? Verse 19. And he said to them, what things? 
So they said to him that the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and, and word before God in all the people, and how the chief priests and, and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But, but we are hoping that he was going to be him who would redeem Israel. I, indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, uh, astonishing us when they did not find his body. They came saying they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He's basically saying... These women, are they crazy? This can't even be true. Verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? You see, he's saying, isn't that what the Old Testament said was supposed to happen? He's saying that their failure at having heart in this moment is as a result of what they didn't pay attention to. Or you could say that what they're seeing is troubling them because they weren't listening correctly. So God speaks his word to us so that we can have faith because, as we've learned, faith comes from Hearing. Had they heard what the Old Testament was saying, they would not have been distraught now with what they were seeing. Because they would be seeing it through the lens of faith. They would be understanding that God is at work and he has a plan. That his purpose hadn't been thwarted, that he's just getting started. Jesus is saying, guys, you would not be stressed out going through this enormous trial if you would have had faith because of what my word tells you. So in verse 27, beginning at Moses, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, so the beginning at the very beginning, He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Whoa! (laughs) I want to download that podcast. Jesus, meticulously, as they walked a seven-mile distance, goes through the entire Old Testament and shows them all the things that were actually previews of the coming attractions. Jesus is like, remember how after Adam and Eve sinned, the fall, the sin atonement, God had to kill the lamb, and the lamb's blood covered? That was me. Actually, Jesus was like, that was Jesus. They don't know it's him. That, that was Jesus. He goes and talks about the blood on the door, the Passover. That was Jesus. He goes through the whole Bible and shows how it was all about Jesus. 
Someone said you can cut the Bible anywhere and it will bleed red. It will bleed with redemptive truth. The whole thing's about Jesus. In the Old Testament, he's declared, he's hinted, he's prophesied. In the New Testament, we see him on display. So it's all about Jesus, and and that's what he's telling them. He's saying, if you just understand the scriptures, you'd understand Jesus, because Jesus himself said, it is them which testify of me. It's all about him. Verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and listen, he indicated that he would have gone farther. What's he doing? He's fishing for an invitation, and so he always does. He will not kick down your door and come into your house. He's indicated, oh, this is your stop. Well, I was going to go. I was just going to keep going unless someone wants me to or not and come with them instead. Jesus basically gives them the space to invite him in which is what he does with every single person, with with every single heart. He knocks at the door. His Holy Spirit draws us. But we got to do what what they did. Notice in, in verse 29, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Verse 30. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Verse 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Awesome! That's a great trick. So right when they noticed it was Jesus, see ya. Verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, verse 34, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Last verse 35. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Would you bow your Heads and join me in prayer. Father, we pray that through your word, the same thing that has happened to them would happen to us. We pray that our hearts would burn within us and that we would see Jesus coming through as we study his scriptures, his words that testify of him. Father, through your spirit, would you help us to see Jesus in these moments, we pray in his holy name. Amen. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the way lions hunt. If, if there's ever a documentary on, on TV, we saw one this week trying to study up on big cats. They just fascinate me. But specifically, the, the king. 
the, the lion. What's interesting about the way that, that the lions hunt is that they're relatively slow when, when compared to what it is that they're hunting. The animals that they eat, uh, most of them are, are faster than them. Lions also can, um, can't change direction suddenly uh, like, a, like a leopard can. Um, they pretty much are going one way once they, they get going. They're going and of course, many of the animals that they chase, like the gazelle, if you see them, you, you just get ADD. They're, they're able to just jump all over the place. They go every which way on a dime. Additionally, they often don't use wind to their advantage. Many, many other uh, creatures that are sophisticated hunters will make sure that the wind's not going to take their, their scent and, and alert what they're chasing to the fact that, that they're there. So you might think then that they're not really that great of hunters. Uh, but they have a couple things going for them. First, they're, they're really good at hiding. Um, there was some uh, grass. They find the color to match them, in, 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 especially the, the clip was in Africa. They, they were down low, and, and they were camouflaged, really good at hiding, super good at hiding, and they're extraordinarily patient. They also work together, as we saw last week, lions, they live in prides. We saw that great video of the, the prides. Uh, they're the only truly social cat. Their strength in the hunt comes from numbers and from the fact that they cooperate really well together. I'm told that oftentimes what a group of lions will do is several of them, they'll set up and hide and they'll make a perimeter around the hunted party. They'll find a tremendous hiding spot and they'll inch slowly but surely until they start to trap their prey in. Most of the time it's the lioness that takes the lead. Meanwhile, a few of them, their job is to come from the front and and when they start charging, they give one of these tremendous five-mile herd roars and it scares whatever they're going at witless. The ones that you can hear aren't the real threat, though, because their job is to chase them in the way that they want them to go, directly into the awaiting ambush. It's a trap. It's counterintuitive. If you could speak to the gazelle, if you could speak to these animals, if you could reason with them, you could tell them, I, I know it's scary what you're hearing. I, I, I know it's frightening with wh- what you're feeling. But you actually should not be running towards what's terrifying you. You should be, sorry, you should be running towards what's terrifying you, not running away. If you would actually just face your fears, easier said than done, As the roar is in your face, if you face your fears, you might just stand a chance of surviving this. The thing that's yelling at you, if you came straight at it, you could show your change of direction. These other animals, they've got the skills to outmaneuver the lions. You might just live. If you would just run towards the roar. So it is in life. We see a perfect depiction of this principle in, in action here in Luke's 24. This famous, this, this phenomenal story. Talk about different seasons. I was telling my wife, if you ever want to know what seasons mean for your life, in your faith, in, uh, in Scripture, it, it's when you 
I've read this story, I don't know, ten times. And it spoke to me a completely different way when I read it this time. Completely different. And so different seasons of our life will we'll interpret the scripture and it will apply to what it is that we need. So there, there's two men, they, they end up at the end of the day, they, they end up full of faith, they end up full of courage, they end up fearless, and they end up running towards what they start at the beginning of the day, fleeing. What they start running away from. The key moment, the key ingredient that we need to understand is, is what changed these men is up on verse 31, when their eyes were opened. And they recognize Jesus. That's when they change from panicky, insecure, freaked out, frightening, to full of courage and running towards what scared them. You could say that once they learned to see life through the eyes of a lion, once they were looking at it through the, the right lens, just a few moments with Jesus changed everything about them. Now they can't get to Jerusalem fast enough when previously they couldn't get out of there quick enough. Why? Because Jerusalem not only, you know, A, did it, they stand for getting arrested. Think about it. Jesus had, had just been put to death. They know in the coming days many of the followers are going to be round up, imprisoned, murdered. They don't know who's going to be next on the cross. Perhaps these two are getting out so that they don't get killed. Maybe like Peter, they're scared that it's going to be them. They're running away. They're, they're running away because they're, they're afraid. Furthermore, we could also say Jerusalem now was a place full of painful, horrific associations. In the book, uh, Levi, the pastor talks about how it's hard for them to drive by the hospital where their daughter died. The pain, they avoid going by the, the funeral home. Even watching TV shows or, or movies with, with CPR triggers a flashback of him trying to save his daughter's life. Jerusalem was after these two. That, that's where they saw Jesus alive last. Perhaps we don't know if they were there or not. That's perhaps where they watched Jesus with a whip tearing across his back. That would scar you. When you go through a stressful event like that, it's difficult to get through that. And, and that was Jerusalem for him. Jerusalem is, is where Jesus was buried. And now, for all they know, where someone might have stolen his body. Some enemy wanting to really rub it in has taken the corpse. For them, it, it's just easier to, to look the other way. It's just easier to put Jerusalem in, in their rearview mirror and, and forget about all that. It's unmistakable sorrow. In fact... The text says, verse 17, that their faces were downcast. Their faces were downcast, meaning it was emotionally felt. It was clear on their faces that their heads were bowed, you know, their shoulders are slumped, their, their faces are, are full of sorrow. Then listen to the words, look at verse 19. Tell me if this sounds like someone full of faith. It says in verse 19, Jesus was a prophet. He was a prophet. What does that mean? We don't think he is anymore. That's over. 
he was a prophet. Then we see it again in verse 21. We had hoped. We had hoped. He showed a lot of potential. They're saying to Jesus, about Jesus. The guy was awesome, I'll give him that. This is amazing. We can agree together. Life didn't go like the way it was going to go. They had a certain picture of what these years were going to look like in their Christian faith. The Messiah was with them. He was finally there. Now their faces are downcast because their dreams had died. I think you'll agree that in one way or another, all of us can say that that's how life has been for us. If we haven't, then live a little bit longer. You'll experience disappointment too. There will be things that you'll be tempted to allow your face and your outlook to become downcast. Your future to be downcast. Now, here's what you need to understand. They're saying this to Jesus. And any time we speak about our our future, as though our dreams were over, as though our our best days were, were already lived, already behind us, we are always premature about mourning the death of a dream because Jesus is always with us. And he always gets the last word. Only he gets to say when it's over. Even when it's over, it's not over. He's not intimidated by death. He's not afraid of the grave. He opens what no one can shut and shuts what no one can open. The resurrection is proof. What they're about to experience is proof that any time we would definitely say something's done and, and cannot be fixed and cannot ever be healed, that this part of our life, it's over, we'll never love again, we'll never sing again, we'll never dance again, we'll never know what it feels like to wake up without that sadness in our hearts, stinging our eyes and causing sleep to be stolen from us. At any time we would ever announce something that is done, I wonder what Jesus would say to us. What's making you so sad, my child? All he's got to do is breathe. All he's got to do is speak. All he's got to do is open our eyes to the potential that is waiting. We don't ever get to speak definitely about something being over. Even when from an earthly perspective, it's completely over. I got news for you. He has all of eternity to fulfill our dreams. How's the story end? They see Jesus, and, and, and then what? They are able to do impossible things because of having seen something that previously wasn't visible to them who Jesus was. What do I mean by that? In verse 29. They urged Jesus strongly, not to walk any further, but to turn in. Stay with us. What do you think that they're telling this guy? Come on, you're you're not from around here. You you don't understand. You you need to turn in here. Because they, they knew it wasn't safe to walk any further. Because the day was spent. They had walked the seven miles. The the sun was down. And when you talk about the the ancient world, 
going on a, a trek like this, you're talking about crude roads, talk about no street lights, you're, you're talking about no little headlamps, right? Today we have so many options in the dark, but imagine being in the pitch black. They might have had a little lamp, lantern, a little wick to light their way, one little step in front of the other, but everything else is total pitch black. So Jesus acts like he's going to be walking further, but they know however far it is, was it two miles, was it, was it three miles to the next village, they, they know that he could die if he, he kept walking. It was dangerous. It wasn't a good decision. Thieves were very popular at that time to, to pray in the night, take advantage. He could walk right off a, a cliff. Who knows what could happen? They urged him strongly to, to turn in, to stay with us. Why? Because it would just be crazy to walk in the darkness. That's how they felt before they saw Jesus. But notice, once their eyes were opened, notice in verse 33, it says, once they saw Jesus, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Seven miles in the dark, a dangerous journey, seven miles, but they thought nothing of it, even because of the risks at once, it says. Why? Because now they are filled with courage. Their spines are filled with steel. Because they had seen the risen Jesus Christ. When, when you see Jesus, when, when, when we experience Jesus, you will have the courage to do what previously filled your hearts with fear. They, they can't do two miles. Now they're, now they're going to do seven miles. Like it's no big deal. Why? Oh, oh yeah, that's right, because... They've got a message to tell somebody. They've got to go tell the apostles, he's alive, he's risen. We just saw him, we ate with him, we, we walked with him. You know what? You should know he, he's alive too. So there are four things that we can glean from this as we seek to fulfill the, the calling in, in our lives as well. Do you want to hear them? Hopefully they'll bless you, um, take them to heart, and, and put them into play into your life. Here, here's the first. Reverse of fear. Jot that down. Reverse of fear. Whatever fear tells you to do, reverse it. There's a rule of thumb in life when you're trying to do something for God, when you're trying to, to live for Him, and fear voice speaks to your heart, you can oftentimes just straight up reverse this. What, what do I mean? L like that gazelle that we're talking about that's getting hunted. So often when, when we do what fear tells us to do, we think we're, we're running from the danger. But we're actually running from our destiny. If we think that we're actually running away from death, we're actually running towards death. The death of our calling, the death of God's plan for our lives. That oftentimes involves fear on purpose. Victory in contrast to that comes from facing what you're afraid of and, and going full throttle towards it if that's what God has called you to do. This is, as you go through the Bible, so often a theme that, that pops up its head again. I think about Esther facing um, her fears. Realizing she was brought into the kingdom for, for such a time as this. What fear filled her heart 
as she walked uninvited into the, the presence of the king. If he didn't raise that golden scepter, it would have meant certain death for her. She was running towards the roar. While fear would have been telling her, let, let someone else do it. Right? But if she would add, God would have let someone else do it. It said, who knows if you haven't been brought for the kingdom for such a time as this. The question is not what will God do. Is the, sorry, the question is not will God do what he wants to do. The question is for you and for me is will we let him do through us what he wants to do? Will, will he find space in our hearts that, that he can move it? Victory comes when you run towards the roar, uh, much like Esther did. Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego did it. We, me and my mother had a fun study this week on, on that. They would have been hearing the, the, the roar deafening when all their friends were, were bowing down, down to the gods of, of this world and, and their diets. All they had to do was to bow down and, and they would live. But they chose to stand. They would not bow down. They would only worship the one true God, even if it meant being called weird, even if it meant being called stupid, even if it meant not having friends at their school, even if it meant being thrown into the fiery furnace. They said, King, we will not bow down. God can save us, but, it, but if he doesn't, then you're going to just have to throw us into that fiery furnace because we're not going to bow. They, they ran towards the roar. Of course, you think about David, classic example, David, who, who had God-giving calling to fight Goliath. I love how the Bible doesn't just say David faced off against Goliath. The, the Bible actually says taking his stones, taking his sling, taking his staff, and, and confronting himself in the name of the Lord, his God, he ran towards Goliath. Whatever you do, we, we have to understand that, that God often calls us to go to places that, that frighten us so that we will fully trust in him. It's necessary for there to be risks sometimes. It's necessary for there to be a mystery. It's necessary for there to be an element of, I don't know if this is all going to work out. Otherwise, there would be no need for faith. If you had all the answers, if it makes all the sense, there's no need for faith. There's no need for God. The world, it often sets us up where the things of this earth feel like they're, they're stacked against us. But, but our Lord, he, he's going to use those things for a purpose. Think of it as we're in training. He's going to use those things for the purpose. Uh, will we live to trust in him? Will we choose to walk by faith and not by sight? I ask you, will we run towards the roar? What will be the things we want to run away from? It's a question for yourself. The resistance will come against the thing that we're supposed to be doing. Use your fear as a diagnostic tool. 
The things that we're doing will be opposed, so, so we got to flip those around. But know this, that yes, the reverse of fear, that, that's a principle, but it isn't always going to mean that you're going to do new things, that you're going to do Goliath type of things. Check this out, our, our second point, old things in a new way. Old things in a new way. That will often be running towards the roar, doing old things in a new way. It's not always going to be some glamorous new adventure. It's you, by faith, believing in God, that what you're doing right now can be that adventure, if you look at it in the right way. What could running towards the roar mean for you in this season? It could mean this, something as simple as remaining when you felt like bolting. I know it's not sexy, but I want to go. That can actually be you running away from the roar, the, the, the roar of consistency. Eugene Peterson called it long obedience in the same direction. That contribution that you make when you just keep digging that, that same hole. Keep, keep working in that same spot. Keep, keep doing the, the same things. I'm going to just stay faithful right, right here. I'm not going to go rush off. I'm not going to go and go get easily discouraged somewhere by doing something crazy. I'm not easily going to, be get, to get offended. I'm going to be faithful to the same life. I'm going to be a good dad to the same children. I'm going to keep preaching uh, week in and week out at the same church. I mean, I'm going to build relationships with a body. I, I'm going to keep serving where I'm planted. I'm not going to keep hopping and, and jumping around, always looking for that next greatest thing. Do old things in a new way. That's true faith when perhaps the fear inside of you would tell you to bolt. But to remain planted. Faith doesn't always call us to go. Sometimes it says stay. Like in in Luke chapter uh, 8 verse 39. There is this dude who's all all freaked out after Jesus cast demons out of him. Because he couldn't join the ministry team. He wanted to serve Jesus, so in his, in his mind, he thought, i got to be on the team. The Bible says he asked him, and Jesus said no. The Bible said he begged him. I, I want to have faith, so, so I need to go. i got to leave this area and go. But here's what Jesus said in, in verse 39. He, he says, stay. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. The man went away. And told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus said, stay for what a testimony it would be as you stay here and share my gospel. Bloom where you've been planted. You, you know these people. You're, you're better served here. Show them the new you. It's me. It's the new me. Yeah, I remember you. Yeah, I remember you before. I found Jesus. Yeah, I remember you. I've seen you before. I've seen you at the store before. I've I, I seen you at the bar before. I've I, I seen you walking around before. I, I, I saw the way you acted before. You're different. Some, sometimes it's right here where we're planted. It's not always a, a, a mission trip somewhere else. There's callings, but not always. One more example, there, there's when these Roman soldiers who got saved when, when John the Baptist was preaching. Remember this story? Uh, get this, they get baptized. They, they probably thought, time to hand in our, our army card and march for the Lord's army, right? Uh, we got to get out of the, the Roman uh, reserves here. Um, 
God's not going to bless someone who's a soldier. Uh, they go to John the Baptist. They say, all right, tell us what to do. We're, we're ready to go. We're ready. Whatever it means. Here's what he said in Luke chapter 3, verse 14. Ready for a huge, faithful assignment? Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. They're like, well, wait a minute. Don't we need to do this? We got a lot to do. We got to get out of this. We got to. JB is like, no, that's what you're going to do. I want you to be the best soldiers that you can be and follow God. It's not a new thing. It's, it's an old thing, as you did, but in a new way. I want you to be a soldier in a way that honors God. I want you to be a carpenter in a way that honors God. I want you to be a mechanic in a way that honors God, a plumber. I, wa- I want you to run in your lane and, and to use the microphone that you've been given as you serve and honor me. Show people uh, around that you're going to be called to, to work in the church, but the, but the rest are supposed to be the, the salt and the light in the world. Some of us are, are, are called to specific duties in the church, but the rest of us have so much more to do. There's a third, accept your mistakes and keep moving. There's nothing more crippling than condemnation over things that you wish you could take back. We're human, and, and this is war. And, and in the fog of war, we, we do make mistakes. I feel one of the things the enemy does is, is he likes to paralyze us with fear. You ever go through that? Because he condemns us for things we, we wish we hadn't done. And it keeps us from fulfilling our calling. Sometimes that's all you can hear. You've you got to change that, that tuner. Because we get e- immobilized by fear. Kind of like when you're being hunted. Right? In the book, Levi talks about the fear and, and the way he's been paralyzed by condemnation over the mistakes he had made as a father to his daughter, Lenya, that, that he can never change, that, that he can never take back. And, and he went through this cycle, and I can relate to this. I think all parents can, and, and as we know now, the things that, that we would do differently, you know, if we could only go back. But spend too long of a time there, and it can become a, a dangerous downward spiral. I can see his tears splashing on the, on the pages reading his journal when he writes, I, I wish I, I could have done CPR better. We can all go there in a, in a way, small, small and large. The issue isn't, are, are you going to fall? It's, can you make it back up? Can you make a comeback? I was watching a, a bike race a while back. You know those guys that wear the, the, <laughs> the funny outfits, uh, the Tour de France? Those guys, uh, one of the bikers, I guess he had talked about quitting the race after yet another terrible finish in, in back-to-back tours. Still so young, the biker had great potential. The announcer goes, oh, I'm not worried about him now. I'm worried about him next year when he tries to make his comeback. They said the, the thing about a biking race is you're only as good as your last race. And I think that's how we feel sometimes as Christians, as though we're only as good as, as our last race. God calls us to do something, and we failed the last time. We, we messed it up the last time. To start to think about it all the way, we, we blew it. So we're stopped from moving forward. And let me tell you something. You're not 
only as good as your last performance. You're only as good as Jesus' perfect life that's inside of each of you. Your identity flows from his blood. We can be blessed by living our life to the fullest here now. Lenya and all of our loved ones will bless us by accepting our mistakes and realizing, you know, I don't need to beat myself up over this anymore. Jesus took the beating for me. He, he already took it. Just walk in his love and, and move forward. Accept your mistakes. Just keep moving forward. It's not easy. It's hard. But one step after another, one, one day after another, one week, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. And, and it doesn't get any lighter. But, but you'll get stronger if you were here for week one. Let him coat it with grace, layer after grace, layer after grace, and, and it can turn into a pearl. So accept your mistakes and keep moving. I got a fourth, one last thing, then we're done. Remember eternity. We spent a lot of time over these four weeks talking about heaven. And, and it's so important that we keep heaven at, at the top of our, in our hearts, in, in our conversation, in our witnessing. That, that, that's the eternity, Right? There's a witness that says, I have the greatest deal for you. One of my professors says, you know, I was told at a young age, the guy came up to me at a Bible camp. He, he never went to, he never heard of the Bible. He's 16 years old. His parents were, were both atheists. And, and he said, I, I was presented the, the, the greatest deal. And I went home to tell my parents, Mom, Dad, you won't believe it. I was offered eternal life for free. What a deal. And I took it. When, when you know God's calling you to do something, to paint something, to write something, and the resistance starts pulling you, I, I, feel, I felt it trying just to study for this lesson. It, it's distractions. It's always that something else. I know I'm supposed to do it. I, I know that it's the time because of how hard I'm being opposed. What helps so often is to go to the end. Remember eternity. That's what Jesus did. They were trying to pull him off course here and there. But John chapter 9, verse 4, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, that talk about the seasons. This really spoke to me this week. Jesus saying, I've got to do the stuff he wants me to do while I got the time, while it's day, because night is coming when no one can work. I hope, if anything, this series has given you a tremendous sense of, of the great and mighty things our king lion wants to accomplish in each and every one of you, through you, that it would ring out forever. But I also need you to understand that that potential is perishable. Your potential unlimited as long as you seize it while it's there. While it's day, because the night is coming, the night is coming, the end of our lives is coming. I've heard it said the opportunity of a lifetime is only good for the lifetime of the opportunity. Your calling isn't a Twinkie. It won't last forever. It's perishable. It's like milk or eggs or produce. It will go bad if you just leave it sitting there. Thinking you'll get around to doing it eventually. The problem is God will rise up someone else when all along that assignment was for you. We've got to rise up and run towards the roar. Go to the end. Think of yourself on, on your deathbed if you have to. Think of yourself in, in heaven. If you could advise yourself while you're still on earth, what would you say to yourself? 
I think you would tell yourself, don't quit. Because you just got one life and it will soon be passed and only what is done for Jesus will last. The heavenly perspective, you, you will have endurance, you, it'll bring you clarity, you will have power to make the wise decisions here that you need to make. What have we learned? Roar, reverse the fear, old things a new way, accept your mistakes and keep moving. And remember eternity. Friends, that's how we will run towards the roar. And we've got to do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Till finally we come to that day, the day when Jesus himself will descend with a shout and trumpets will blow. Could we say with a roar? Night is coming, the day is far spent. The invitation has been sent. If you haven't, I ask you, accept Jesus today. Would you please stand and all stand? Can we show Jesus some glory? If we could, we stand and start clapping for Jesus. I want everyone clapping for Jesus. Let's rise up in our faith. Let us seek to live for his glory. Let's keep our mind on heaven. Let's, let's seek to win the loss and to plunder hell and to populate heaven. Come on. When he shall come, the, trep- the trumpets will sound. May we then in him be found. Amen.